I often, when working at the front of church, I work alongside my husband Kai and my buddy Jeff. And there's a good reason for that, because God appreciates diversity and balance and unity. Today, I have the great pleasure of working alongside my dear friend Kate. And I speak to you while the guys in church have served us coffee, and now Kai is out the back working with the young people. Now, that, you could see that as a bit of an illustration of our marriage. Me, standing, <laughs> talking, and him doing. But as part of my accountability and obedience, I want to recognize the faith and the service of the guys in our church and just pray for them. May God bless you and move you into positions of leadership and influence. May we, as women, only say what is necessary, what will edify, encourage, and dignify you. And may the Lord provide you with the gifts, the discipline, and the perseverance required for the challenges ahead. Now, just in case you're visiting us this morning, that's not any statement about women in leadership, marriage, singleness, or widowhood. That's just a word into our context and the season that we're in. So, moving on, what is God's greatest challenge to us? Uh, If you Google that... Uh, one of the responses, or one of the top responses that will come up, is, is about living in discipleship. Uh, but I'm going to take the response of, of one uh, Christian theologian, a guy called R.T. Kendall. Now, R.T. Kendall um, grew up in the wilds of Kentucky. He himself says, uh, not necessarily a place known for its academic prowess. <laughs> And if ever there was a guy who, who maybe could be, have a sense of imposter syndrome, I think it's R.T. Kendall because he found himself studying at Oxford University and later uh, moving into the leadership role at uh, um, Westminster Chapel. Um, he wrote a book. Yes, please. Yes, thank you. Um, R.T. wrote a book. It's called Total Forgiveness, and and it really reforms the reflections of this service. And and just in case you think I'm an expert on forgiveness, I read the book 10 years ago, and I still need to read it. (laughs) And so if you think about it, if this uh, Bible talk was 10 years in the making, then don't expect another one anytime soon. Uh, Why is forgiveness important? Well, because most of us at some point in our lives are driven to the the limit of our forgiveness. And those of us living with an unforgiving spirit often may not even realise it. Uh, R.T. Kendall talks about this as a dormant doctrine within our church. Uh, I'm not sure whether I completely agree with him because I have to say, if you've ever gone through one of the courses like... um, Steps to Freedom, Living Free, 
or the waterfall journey, uh, they all make reference to this place of living in a position of complete forgiveness and uh, humility before God. Before we even talk about it in terms of a spiritual concept, uh, the benefits of forgiveness are recognised by wider society. And social scientists have discovered that forgiveness helps with physical healing, with wholeness and with emotional health. But today we're going to be thinking about and reflecting on uh, forgiveness as a spiritual discipline and as a gift from God. Um, Forgiveness is hard, especially when trust has been broken. Because what are we supposed to do and how are we supposed to deal with those who have hurt us or maybe hurt our children or our loved ones? A church leader, maybe, who has badly let us down. A liar. A thief. The friend who is now an enemy. The neighbour. The Christian. Maybe we've been failed by the state or wider society. Maybe it's ourselves that we need to forgive. Maybe it's God. How do we deal with these things? Well, in the same way that God deals with each one of us through unconditional forgiveness. Uh, Do you recognize these men at all? I wonder. (laughs) Um, I think one of them might be more recognizable than the others. (laughs) Um, I was gonna have them flying in, but I thought, oh no, that's a bit mean. Um, So if you're not sure, Uh, The white guy on the left is Frederick Frederick William de Klerk, uh, the former president of South Africa. Okay, Uh, The guy bottom right, the one I think is the most recognisable, is Nelson Mandela. And the one uh, above him is actually the one that I'm going to reflect most on today, because that's Professor Washington Okomu. In 1994... The world watched as Nelson Mandela was released from his prison on Robben Island in South Africa. And in the same way as we have done in the last 10 days, there was this sort of sense of holding our breaths and waiting. Because what we expected was really mass bloodshed and a lengthy, long-lasting and bitter civil war within the country of South Africa. But what actually took place was that Nelson Mandela became the first black president in South Africa through a peaceful transition of power in what is sometimes referred to as the greatest miracle of the 20th century. Now, I can't imagine what, what must have, the task that must have beset these guys when they met with their other political advisors and staff to, to talk through those negotiations. And it's interesting to see that the situation and the circumstances that they found themselves in were not a direct cause of their own actions. Because the reality is the situation that they found themselves in was caused much, much earlier. 
the route being the Atlantic and the Arabian slave trade, followed by the European scramble for Africa between 1884 and 1914, uh, what is described as the, the biggest land grab the world has ever known. Why am I talking about this? <laughs> Good question. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Now, you might be thinking I've completely lost my rocker. <laughs> if you weren't there, if you missed this, that was a word of prophecy that was brought to us uh, a number of weeks ago. Uh, and when you looked into what that prophecy meant, um, we discerned that God was telling us that potentially our mission and ministry as a church was being undermined in the same way that that gun known as Humpty Dumpty, was undermined within that war and, and fell to the floor. Uh, and and the, the process, um, the enemy had victory because the wall that, that that gun sat on had been undermined. And that this was a, a warning to us as a church that we needed to deal with some of the things in the past. And, and the truth is, uh, that within living memory, this church has undergone two splits. One as a result of differences over um, worship, and one as a result of differences over leadership. And, and as the American philosopher says, um, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. George Santana. So, in a way, we mustn't dwell in the past, but at the same time, we must be mindful of it when thinking about and planning our future. Uh, one year ago, we said goodbye to our minister, Charles, and we are still waiting for a new one. I think God is taking the time to refine and prepare us for what is to come. So, what is forgiveness? Thanks, Becky. Let's start with what forgiveness is not. <laughs> it's not approval. God hates sin. And the way that he deals with it, um, he, he cannot have anything to do with it. it. It's not about excusing sin. We should not point to circumstances that excuse the behavior or justify it or make it right. Forgiveness is not pardon. It doesn't mean that we are, or, or those who have hurt us, are exempt from punishment. Simply that we surrender our right to take revenge. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you want to go on holiday with them. Forgiveness is not denial. Um, it, when I worked in a school... It was really interesting because sometimes we could present parents with um, CCTV evidence of their children doing something wrong and they still would not believe the evidence that was in front of their eyes. <laughs> denial. Forgiveness is not denial. It's not about refusing to take a wrong seriously, pretending that we are not hurt, that stiff upper lip. Forgiveness is not closing our eyes to those who may harm or continue to harm others. 
forgiveness does not negate our legal or safeguarding duties. And we'll be hearing a little bit more about that from Steve, our safeguarding officer, next week. Forgiveness is awareness. Uh, total forgiveness is painful. It hurts when we kiss revenge goodbye. It hurts to think of that person getting away with what they did and nobody knowing. But when I know fully what they did and accept in my heart that they will be blessed without any consequences of their wrong, then I have crossed over into the supernatural and I have begun to be more like Jesus. Forgiveness is a choice not to keep a record of wrongs. This one's for you, spouses, parents, children. Forgiveness, like love, is primarily not a feeling, but an act of will. Forgiveness is refusing to punish. We will not seek revenge, but trust in God's justice. And he says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. And this is a tricky one, really, because um, Artie Kendall states um, that forgiveness is about not telling what they did. And, and the reason for that is because so much, or so often our, our motives can be mixed. Uh, and sometimes when we're telling other people, we're, we're really looking for sympathy uh, or refusing to let go. And, and what the advice is really is pour out your heart to God first. And then if you really can't contain the pain, just tell one person. Uh, but what I would say, the caveat to that is we are talking about day-to-day grudges and accumulation of bad feeling. When we say don't tell other people, I'm, I'm not talking about the significant moments of trauma in your life. Uh, those of you that will know me for a while know that there is a certain phrase called verbal vomit. <laughs> and sometimes uh, the voice of our trauma means that we need to speak and tell others. Uh, and so just to say, uh, that, that command about not telling others uh, doesn't apply to trauma reactions. Uh, but I would say, what if everything you had ever done wrong was shared publicly? And, and how would you feel about that? So forgiveness is about grace, giving favour, mercy, withholding justice. Now God is both just and merciful, uh, forgiven, uh, a reflection of his divinity and holiness uh, to a certain, well, a level that we cannot attain to. Uh, forgiveness is an inner condition. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, and uh, forgiveness is not uh, bitterness, an excessive desire for revenge that grieves the spirit, as we heard in the Bible passage today, and, and more on that later. So how do you know that you have forgiven? Uh, a litmus test of three things. Firstly, when there is no desire to get even or punish the other person. When I do or say nothing to hurt that person's reputation or future. And thirdly, when I truly wish them well in what they seek to do. Uh, now, there's a lovely illustration of forgiveness in the Bible. Uh, in uh, the book of Genesis. Here it is. Thanks, Becky. Ahead of me. Uh, through the story of Joseph. Now, I don't have time 
to talk through the story of Joseph. It's there in Genesis 35 to 50. Uh, I'm just going to give you three brief snapshots throughout the life of Joseph that really reflect his journey. The first one is this. Uh, And at this point in the story, Joseph was really an arrogant 17-year-old, lacking sensitivity and humility. (laughs) And in this statement, he says, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams. So there was nothing wrong with Joseph's gift. It was a God-given gift to interpret dreams, but there was a lot wrong with Joseph. And through the story, God deals with him. If you know it, you will know that Joseph was sold into slavery and subsequently placed into prison. And and it's when we see him in prison that we're going to take that next snapshot. Uh, Because whilst in prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of a cupbearer and a baker. And each of them had a dream, and Joseph offered uh, to interpret their dreams, and and he offered them a correct interpretation. But before he could even finish telling the cupbearer of his imminent release, he got too involved in trying to save himself. And he said this, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph, through that expression, was still filled with a sense of self-pity and self-promotion. He was trying to elevate himself by his own means. But God had a bigger bigger and a better plan for him. Because if he'd have just escaped from prison at that point, he would have completely missed out on the ultimate uh, glory and release and and the ultimate plan that God wanted to work in his life. Uh, Delays can be part of God's purpose and unanswered prayer can be as much of God's plan as answered prayer. So if you today find yourself in that prison cell, Take heart, God is there, and he will have a plan and a purpose. Uh, The final snapshot of Joseph is in Genesis 45, verses 1 to 15. I don't have time to read it, I'm sorry. (laughs) Maybe go home and do so. At this point in time, Joseph's brothers uh, come before him because they find themselves in a desperate situation of having no food. Uh, Joseph... Uh, these are really the signs of of his forgiveness, that he shows discretion towards them. He makes everyone else leave the room before he talks um, to his brothers, and he does that out of compassion. He was in a position of power, but he did not attempt to lord that power over his brothers. He allowed them to save face. Forgiveness allows others to save face. He protected them from their fears. He did not want them to feel guilty. And he made a lifelong commitment to them 
that went beyond his father's death 17 years later. Now, moving on. The difficulty is that no one seemed sorry at the cross of Jesus. There was just glee on the faces of those who got what they wanted. Crucify him. And possibly one of the most ironic statements I've ever heard. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. What was Jesus' response? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And his prayer was gloriously answered as Peter addressed this very same crowd of people on the day of Pentecost. Now, uh, this is possibly the, the most fundamental and trickiest part of, of the sermon. I kind of wanted to leave it out because I, I was worried that it would be misunderstood or I wouldn't communicate it to you properly. But I'm going to have a go. <laughs> Justification before God is unconditional. The anointing of the Spirit is conditional. I'm going to say that again. Justification before God is unconditional, but the anointing of the Spirit is unconditional. So when Jesus died, he took the punishment for all the things that we had done wrong, and it's the greatest exchange in all of history. The fact that we can stand before God will never change. But the anointing of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in our lives may ebb and flow. God's forgiveness to us is unconditional. But fellowship with God is conditional. So anyone who surrenders the trust that they had in their own goodness and instead trusts in what Jesus did on the cross, God grants them perfect righteousness. That's ours forever. But on the way to heaven, it is possible to lose fellowship with the Father. Our status in the family of God is unconditional. But our intimacy with Christ is conditional. So we've been adopted into God's family. We are joint heirs with Christ, but our intimacy with Christ is conditional. Lastly, our eternal destiny is fixed. God's kingdom, we have a place there. But receiving a reward is conditional. Once we're saved, we have a future that is secure with God. We will have a new body and a life beyond this one. But our inheritance, often called reward, is conditional. I guess my challenge to you, to me, to us as a church, is that possibly, somehow, somewhere, we might have risked losing the anointing of the Spirit, the fellowship with the Father, intimacy with Christ and possibly our reward. That's the risk of unforgiveness. So how does unforgiveness or how does a lack of forgiveness show itself? Um, thanks, Becky. Next one. <laughs> well, often in the way that we react to, relate to and speak about 
other people. Criticising others is often based on unforgiveness, jealousy, or our own inadequacies. Judgment is God's territory, and we should not trespass. But this doesn't mean that we should not intervene when others have done wrong. We are not to avoid conflict or challenging conversations. And ultimately, I would say compacted unforgiveness leads to an even more dangerous place. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you have trouble keeping your temper? Do you have high blood pressure? Irritability? Sleeplessness? A deep and ongoing need to get even? Depression? Isolation? A constant negative perception on life? Or a general feeling of being unwell? These may be, not always, but these may be symptoms of bitterness. What does bitterness look like? Holding a grudge, a growing resentment, self-pity, a sense of victimhood. I can't believe they did that and will get away with it. I want justice. I want to see them exposed, for everyone to see what they have done. You become increasingly churned up by the idea of revenge. Bitterness is darkness and the result of unforgiveness. And if I do not forgive, then I could spend many hours in prayer and not have fellowship with God. I can spend many hours helping others and still not have fellowship with God. I could come and sing with my hands raised in prayer and still not have fellowship with God. I could give the most amazing Bible talk and still not have fellowship with God. What are the consequences of bitterness? We heard in the Bible reading this morning, the Holy Spirit is grieved. We find ourselves alone. We force God to become our enemy and we lose our anointing's potential and we miss out on fellowship with the Father. Now, thank you. When we talk about forgiveness, I think sometimes um, experiencing the love of God means not keeping a record of our own wrongs. That might be an even greater breakthrough than forgiving the wrongs of others. And forgiving our own wrongs is a daily discipline and lifelong commitment. Uh, We may wake up each day with an awareness of past mistakes and failures, and we must renew our commitment to forgive, whether we're keeping that record of wrongs for other people or for ourselves. We need to make sure that we haven't pasted together the paper of that record of wrongs, either that done by us to others or those done by ourselves. And I just think some of you might need to hear these words, let the past be past at last. If God doesn't hold it against you, don't hold it against yourself. After the resurrection, Jesus turned up unexpectedly behind closed doors and the disciples met in terror, racked with guilt. Instead of reminding them what they had done, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And I believe 
that is still his call to us today. The risen Lord shows up and assures you of your future ministry. Um, Final slide, please, Becky. Um, This is, I suppose, um, my experience on Friday night. I'm still working through it. Um, And the way I would describe it, it was a bit like having um, a warm bath and a massive kick up the backside at the same time. Uh, The picture you see before it, I don't know if it's clear, is of um, a young guy called Ben and a young woman called Julia. And together, uh, they lead the Christian Union at Falmouth University in the coming year. And I joined them on a a worship evening on Friday night. And I think in that moment, God spoke to me, and, and this is what he said. How many people are in this room? (laughs) Because the Lord knows how my brain works. And I counted. And there were 24 people in the room, 18 of which were students. And I also know, because I put it into the church newsletter this week, that the goal of the Christian Union is that every student would hear, would have the um, opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was doing the maths Well, if there are 18 students in that room, and rest assured there's a lot more in the Christian Union and a lot more in the wider committee, but in that room there were 18 students. If they were seriously going to share the gospel with every student, that would mean that each and every one of them would have to share the gospel with 500 people. Thank goodness for social media, eh? But in my mind, I was thinking, do you think they might need help? Do you think they might need some guidance, mentoring, strategy? resource and how would they get that help it was interesting because when a prospective ministerial candidate came to visit us one of the things they told us was that one of the reasons they were visiting our church was because we were based in a university town and they saw that as an opportunity to grow and nurture future leaders and yet as I stood there on Friday night I was completely convicted of the fact that the mission report that we have recently written makes no mention whatsoever of outreach to students. Now, at this point, you might be wanting to speak to the person who coordinates student worship at Emmanuel or student links at Emmanuel. I can't imagine who that would be. (laughs) Who bears the responsibility for that? In that moment, I really wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. (laughs) And then I felt the Lord maybe say something else. Carrie, look at the cross. And as I looked at the cross, I don't think you can see it, but in the center of the cross, there is a crown of thorns. And in the center of that crown of thorns is the word forgiveness. And uh, I was like, wow, what a wonderful confirmation that maybe as a result of my own complacency uh, or uh, we have missed opportunities. But that God offers forgiveness for that. And right above where it says uh, forgiveness was the phrase, (laughs) expect a miracle. I was like, wow, Lord, is that for us? Should we be expecting miracles? And I felt God would say this. Well, Carrie, that's for anyone who follows the daily discipline of forgiveness 
and who takes seriously the mission to share the gospel with 10,000 students. <laughs> In summary, I'm just going to pause. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift and his greatest challenge. Forgiveness has the power to transform our faith, our relationships, our ministry, and our mission. It even has the power to avert wars and is nothing short of miraculous. We know that we have been forgiven when there's no desire to get even or punish, when I do or say nothing to hurt that person's reputation or future, and when I truly wish them well in what they seek to do. The story of Joseph offers us a great biblical template for forgiveness. And here's the challenging bit, that justification before God is unconditional, but the anointing of the Spirit is conditional. God's forgiveness is unconditional. Fellowship with him is conditional. Our status as a family is unconditional, but our intimacy with Christ is conditional. And our eternal destiny is fixed, but receiving reward is conditional. Forgiveness is a state of our hearts, but it spills over into the way we think, speak, and act towards others. We can often be blind to our own unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, if left untreated, grows into bitterness. It will undermine our mission and ministry, both individually and as a wider fellowship. Humpty Dumpty. In addition to forgiving others, we also need to forgive ourselves and maybe forgive God for some of the things that we have endured. And that's particularly for those of you who find yourself in that prison experience like Joseph this morning. And I truly believe that God is calling us to receive afresh the gift of forgiveness and challenging us to practice the discipline daily as a lifelong commitment. Amen.